you have to help people help you. You have to give people the tools or at least the knowledge um, to equip them to be able to help you. It's kind of like setting yourself up for success. You're laying the groundwork before anything goes wrong and saying, hey, this is, you know, potential problems. If this happens, this, this is normally what I need. This is normally what works for me. So that when you are in that depressive state or you are being affected by your OCD, PTSD, ADHD, whatever it is, whatever your symptoms are, that people go, oh, okay, hey, we've talked about this. This isn't surprising. This isn't new. We've talked about this and we now know how to better help you. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 41. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. Today we're talking about how to move through dating while battling with mental health challenges or living with a diagnosis. Dating by itself can be an anxiety-provoking experience. Dating anxiety is one of the top things that come up for me in conversations. So it's a thing. And I mean, it's kind of a vulnerable process as you are opening your heart up to getting to know someone and, and being vulnerable and just navigating where the relationship is going on top of possibly dealing with mental health struggles or managing a diagnosis and whatnot. It can open up a host of feelings and emotions, you know, and questions like, you know, when do I disclose to this person that, you know, I'm dealing with mental health challenges or how could this affect our relationship and how do we move through that? There might even be fears like, you know, maybe they'll leave once they realize, you know, what my struggles really are and I'm afraid of losing this person or ending up alone. Like these are some real underlying fears that I know a lot of people have and it's it's understandable. So I really wanted to take the time to give this topic its own space about dating while dealing with mental health challenges. And I thought, who better to have than my friend, Christian Wilson. Christian and I used to do these mental health Monday talks together, and this topic came up often, and it's something that he's very open about sharing with his own journey, which I'm really appreciative for. So Christian is a speaker and writer who is co-founder of Anthem of Hope. And if you guys haven't heard of Anthem of Hope, definitely check it out. It's a faith-centered organization dedicated to amplifying hope for those battling brokenness, depression, anxiety, self-harm, addiction, and suicidal rumination and thinking. Um, And Christian openly shares his struggles with depression and anxiety for most of his life, which fuels his passion for ending the stigma surrounding mental illness and specifically for today, he really opens about his dating experience. He's been in a serious relationship and has had to kind of hash that out and what that experience has been like for him. So we're just going to have a real and raw, honest conversation about this. Um, I think you're going to find it super valuable. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Christian Wilson. Hey 
Hey Christian, it's so great to finally have you on the podcast. Um, we've been doing some Mental Health Mondays live on Instagram stories, and, sorry, on Instagram live, and have been having some really cool conversations. So I just, you know, wanted to share you with the listeners on the podcast and see how you're doing today. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm super excited to finally be on the podcast and talk about everything that we've basically already been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm joking now that like I talk to you more than most people that I know. <laughs> we've yes, already chatted yes. to, to now twice this week and on Mondays. So, um, so I think that you just have a really incredible story and, you know, I, both of our perspectives are, have been so aligned on the mental health conversation in the church um, and just at large. But today we're specifically talking about dating through mental health challenges or through a diagnosis, which is something that I hear a lot about from others, just about how to approach it, like when to share that you are living with a diagnosis or feeling like you might be too much for someone or not wanting to scare someone away, like all of those things. And so I know we briefly touched on this with your relationship with your girlfriend, Lexi. You guys are so cute. Um, Thank you. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. I'll have Christian on and we'll just have an open conversation about it. So for those who aren't familiar with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led to the work that you're doing today? Yeah, of course. So my name is Christian Wilson. I am 24 years old, living in Southern California. Um, I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and obsessive compulsive disorder when I was um, one. The OCD was when I was five. Um, depression, anxiety when I was about 12. And so that's something that I've been living with my entire life. It's um, definitely a part of who I am just because it affects me in so many different ways that I've, I've learned to live with. Yeah. Um, but I had a bad experience growing up in the church and struggling with my, my mental illnesses. Um, and I did not want that to happen to anybody else. And I walked away from the church when I was in high school, um, didn't come back until I was about 19 when I found, I renewed my relationship with God um, outside of the church on my own, ended up coming back to the church and realized that this was still a problem. And so I didn't want anybody that was in the same age group as me, which was high school, young adults, um, to feel like they were alone, to feel like they were outcasted. And so we started Anthem of Hope, which is a nonprofit organization to raise awareness for mental health and mental illness. And we go around speaking across the nation at churches, at schools, conferences, um, spreading awareness and truth to young people who are struggling or know someone who is struggling um, with their mental health or a mental illness. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, first, I just want to backtrack really quickly because you have so much going on in your story and just seeing how God is working in your life and all the stuff that you're doing. And also, you're just so great at articulating this conversation that I can tell you've been, you've thought through this and you've been doing it for a while. Um, yeah, I've talked about it a lot. Talked about it a lot, right? That's how it works. Um, like, it's so wild to me. How did they know at such a young age that you were having these diagnoses? Because usually, 
like it can be hard to diagnose things in kids because first of all you don't know like is it a stage is it something they're going to grow out of like that seems so early for a diagnosis i was curious about that yeah so this this isn't something that i'm necessarily proud of but i at the time i was the i either the youngest or the second youngest person in the state of california to be diagnosed officially with obsessive compulsive disorder. And at the time, um, obviously, I I didn't know what was going on. I was only four or five years old. Uh, But through the years after talking to my parents about it, and just them reiterating the story to me, um, it was so textbook that the doctor said it would basically be against their practice to not diagnose me when it was so obviously textbook obsessive compulsive disorder. Wow. Um, I would I would have vocal tics daily that there was nothing I could do about. I, I couldn't control it. I would make these high-pitched squeaks just constantly throughout the day. Um, I had very, very severe germophobia um, to where I would wash my hands until they were raw and bleeding and scabbed. Um, I had a part of it, it was, it's called trichotillomania, which is the subconscious picking of your eyelashes and eyebrows. Yeah. And it's a way that I would deal with, with what was going on in my head was I I would pick out my eyelashes and eyebrows and have these bald spots. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. The germophobia got so severe that I would not let my parents put away my laundry with their hands. I would yeah. only let them put away my laundry with their feet. Wow. I, I would love to kind of see that. I Do you have any of that on video? No, but I, I do have some vivid memories of yeah. my dad sitting on the floor with his hands behind him, using his feet kind of like little little crab claws. <laughs> right. I'm trying to picture this. Yeah. And putting them into my drawers. And it, if they didn't do it like that, I would lose my mind because Mm. I would think that the clothes were dirty again because in my head I thought that your hands were the dirtiest part of you so I don't want anybody touching things with their hands Um, and it was just it was all of this piled on top of each other from the time I was between four and five years old and my parents were finally like okay not that this isn't um how, how do I how do I word this um, they, they knew something wasn't completely right. Right. They right. just didn't think that it was, was going to be related to a mental illness. And right. so they finally decided that it was so constant. It was so severe of these impulses that I had that they decided to finally take me to see my, our general practitioner and then a psychiatrist. And after talking with them, they just said, you know what, we hate, we hate diagnosing kids this young, but it would be a misservice to you and your child to not diagnose because it is so textbook. And so that's how that happened. 
I just um I just love how like a ton of your parents have been through this whole process because uh, you've shared as well just like how when you were experiencing these things they they knew your dad's in the medical field um to hey these are symptoms of something and to seek more help and it sounds like that was very pivotal in your own process of recovery and growing through all of this um into I mean what you're doing today. And also quickly backtracking to you said you said that you experienced some hurtful things in the church with your mental diagnosis. I was just curious as to maybe what some of those examples might be. Of course, we're not here to bash the church. Um, I believe there are even well-meaning people who just don't understand or don't have the right words to say. Uh, but what might some of those experiences been and how did you reconcile with that in the in the end? Yeah, so there were there were a couple seasons in my life when I was at a um, very legalistic, conservative church, and there were there were a few seasons where my depression got really really bad. And being a church family, we wanted to ask our pastor and people that we trusted in the congregation um, to pray for us and ask for, you know, spiritual guidance. And there were a few times that some people within the church, um, including some of the pastors, told us that basically mental illness did not exist. Um, If you read the Bible, that the Bible is clear that mental illness is a sin or that you are being punished for some sort of unforgiven sin. Um, something that you haven't actually sought forgiveness for or that you hadn't been forgiven for yet. And that the mental illness was the physical way of God showing you your sin. And me being, you know, 12, 13 years old at the time, that was horrible to hear because then I'm going around church and walking around life going, oh gosh, God isn't forgiving me for something. I don't even know what that something is and I'm being punished for it. And so it took me a couple years of kind of wrestling with that and my family wrestling with that and going, okay, well, my dad being in the medical field thought, well, that's, that's not true. Obviously it's a real thing. It's a real diagnosis, but the people that we really needed to seek guidance from and really wanted the support of don't understand And so hearing that over the course of a few years, I was finally over it. And I said, well, you know, if God is punishing me for something that I don't even remember doing or something that I don't even know how to reconcile for, then what's even the point? And at that point, I then stepped away from the church for a few years before finding out for myself, reading my Bible myself, finding my relationship in God myself, that I found the truth in what the Bible says. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B E T T E R H E L P. 
One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one -on -one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. before we kind of switch over to the dating conversation, what encouragement would you give to someone who has been stigmatized for most of their experience in the church, but still has faith and is trying to reconcile that? Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic question. Um, one of the, one of the verses that completely changed my perspective um, on this conversation in the church surrounding mental illness, because people will quote different scriptures depending on whether they think mental illness is real or not. Right. Um, but one verse that I love and is something that I found right before I, I renewed my faith um, was John chapter nine. And it's when Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And this, this scripture has been ingrained in my soul because I use it so often. Um, Jesus and his disciples were walking along through a town and they saw a man who had been blind from birth. And so they said, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? So they immediately assumed that this ailment, this physical ailment of this man had to have been the result of some sort of sin. And if it wasn't his sin, it had to have been his parents' sin. Because why would something this horrible in their eyes, something so um, nonsensical where someone was born blind, 
how could that happen in you know a world where only the the bad are punished and only the good are rewarded and jesus replies it was not because of his sin and it was not because of his parents sin this happens so the power of god could be seen in him and then jesus ends up healing this blind man but that verse has always just echoed within me because god said or jesus says to his disciples this man's ailment is not a result of sin and there's no reason to assume that there's some sort of sin in his life or his family's life that this happened to him we live in a fallen world and i have come to this world to be a healer to be a provider and to be a helper and so if you are struggling and someone has told you something that I've been told, or plenty of other people have been told, which is your ailment or your illness is a result of your sin. Um, you have to realize that we live in a fallen world, that illnesses exist, bad people can do bad things, and bad things can happen to good people. But that's why we have Jesus. Jesus shows his power in those times. Jesus shows his power in coming alongside us when we're broken, healing us when we need healing, being a mentor and a rock for us when nobody else will. That is exactly why Jesus exists, why Jesus came to this world to show who he is, is because he doesn't see you by your sin. He sees you that you were a human being created in the image of God. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you are currently in, I, I believe, a 10-month relationship so far with your girlfriend, Lexi. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We see, just I hit listen. 10 months. I, see, I, listen, I pay attention. People don't realize. I like, appreciate that. I pay attention to the details. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you, uh, you guys are both believers. You guys both have experience living with a diagnosis. Um, and so I really wanted to touch on dating with a diagnosis and with those symptoms that may come along that may make it sometimes more difficult or just create more, um, opportunities of how to work through things differently. Right. And so, uh, I guess for starters, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how the journey has been for you, um, and how that started and even how the conversation comes up. Like, when do you tell someone that you have a diagnosis, you know, and without, I don't know, fear of scaring them off? Uh, how has that experience been for you? It surprisingly has been a lot easier than I expected. Uh, when yeah. we first started talking, it was as friends. And so we were first very good friends. We had uh, mutual connections. We ended up meeting up. Uh, we were really good friends for about a year, year and a half before we actually started dating. And so we got to know a lot about each other in that year, year and a half. And, and there were a few times where um, Lexi and I had talked about our families and what we want to do for our future. And I told her from the beginning that I wanted to help people and speak out for pe people who were struggling with either mental health problems or had a diagnosed mental illness. And immediately she got it because then she replied saying, oh my gosh, I was diagnosed with 
these things when I was this years old. Yeah. Um, but the conversation first got brought up extremely casually, which is it's weird saying that that you can you know casually bring up that you have depression or that you have PTSD. Right. Um, but when you trust someone or you're getting to know someone and you've talked for a little bit, that's kind of natural that if if you're in these if you're in a relationship or if you're having these conversations with someone that you dive a little bit deeper, start to open up about, you know, family problems that you might have, um, past relationships that didn't go well. I kind of have always viewed my mental illness as the same thing. It's something that has changed who I am. It's um, It doesn't define me as a person, but it definitely has influenced me as a person and how I interact with people, how I listen to people. And so not that it defines me, but it's definitely important to me because it's, in a sense, it's part of who I am. Yeah. As of right now, if if I do or do not get healed in the future, as of right now, it, it's who I am, uh, part of who I am. And so it came up very naturally in conversations that, that we had. And once I opened up about it, she also immediately opened up about it and said, oh my gosh, I've struggled with um, you know, depression and told me um, a couple different stories of from when she was in high school and used to struggle with self-harm, which is a, a big part of her story that she shares. Yeah. And so there's pros and cons to both partners in a relationship having a mental illness. Um, but it's it's honestly helped us a lot because it's a lot easier for us to understand what's going on with the other person. Yeah. It's a lot easier for us to take a step back and say, okay, she's having a panic attack or, okay, he's, you know, he's, he's feeling really depressed right now. This is kind of how I can navigate this. And so I know that there's a, uh, there's a saying that you gotta, you gotta pick your poison when it comes to your relationship, because not everybody's perfect. Everybody has some sort of flaw or special quirks about them. Yeah. Um, of our, you know, mental illnesses, anxiety, depression, um, stuff that we kind of deal with on a daily or weekly basis, um, we understand that extremely well. Yeah, you guys can identify it in each other. I think that's the big advantage, you know, as where someone else who maybe isn't familiar with these things may not know what's going on. You guys have an awareness because you guys have both been through it that helps you identify it quick, quicker. So I really... I think that's really interesting, right? Um, that's the paradox of it. So basically, you're talking about building some rapport, right? Maybe it's not a first date conversation. Is that what you're saying? Maybe it's not like, hi, my name is so-and-so, and by the way, I'm diagnosed with just a, this, just so you know ahead, probably not the first date. I, I think it depends on the person. If you're okay. on a first date, your conversation, is getting into family issues and relationship problems that you've had in the past. Why, Pat? Like, if you're getting into the the thick of things and you're really diving in deep in this conversation, um, that's that's the time I think that you would bring it up, not to pile it in with things that are negative. Yeah. But once you're comfortable enough with somebody to share, you know, what, what's going on in your family, what even positive things like what you want to do with your future or what your goals are, what your passions are. Um, when you get to that level of talking with somebody, 
and you can kind of talk without fear of judgment or, um, you know, fear of them misunderstanding what, what you're saying. I think that's the perfect time to bring it up with me and Lexi. It was yeah. probably our second date. So it was still very early. Yeah. Um, but we had built enough of a relationship before as being friends mm -hmm. that once we started dating, we almost, uh, or once we started going on dates before officially dating that we were immediately like, okay, I want to know everything about you. I want to mm -hmm. know about your family. I want to know about your friends, your history, where you came from, what your passions are, what your goals are. And so all of that kind of intertwines. And that's when it was brought up. And I said it first, just because I felt comfortable. And I was like, you know what, if, if she wants to date me, this is something she's going to end up having to deal with anyway. <laughs> so I might as well just tell her. And then once I told her, she immediately was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said something because wow. I've been wanting to tell you and I didn't know if it was the right time or if you'd be weirded out by it. And then she told me and, and we've been on a understanding level ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And on that, I'm going to, I'm going to revert to another question that I'm going to come back to the relationship dynamic of being in a relationship and working through that with the diagnosis and say, um, okay, now what really helped is that you guys had this commonality, right? Where it's like, oh, you, me too, you know, and that kind of really bonded you guys and it made it more comfortable. Now say someone is dating or seeing someone who does not have a diagnosis um, or yeah, has not experienced it or even maybe at the level they're experiencing it and they're afraid of scaring this person off because maybe they seem so perfect or they seem so together and yet here you are like struggling with with these challenges and um maybe are afraid of like i said scaring them away um maybe what would you say to that person who is like you know actually the person i like or the person i'm talking to or with uh doesn't have a diagnosis and um i want to share it with them but i'm I'm afraid. I'm afraid it's going to scare them off. Yeah, I think that everyone has something that they're afraid of telling someone they meet, yeah. whether it's in a um, dating conversation or even just friends hanging out and you're having a conversation with someone you're friends with or that you just met. Um, everybody has something that is kind of their thing something that is either kind of like the black sheep of their past or something that they're currently struggling with. Um, sadly, my family has kind of hit the jackpot for um, potential issues in, in finding a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, we have alcoholism that runs in our family. Um, my, my mother is an alcoholic. And so that's something that we have to deal with as a family. Mm -hmm. um, we've had plenty of deaths in our family we've had suicides in our family yeah um we have mental illness in our family we have a lot going on that is stuff that i wouldn't necessarily share with everybody that i meet right and i'm sure there's plenty of people who would be either weary of or not completely understanding of dating somebody who didn't have a great relationship with their mom like i do um just because you know, she uh, is an alcoholic. She struggles very hardly. Is that the right word? She struggles. We'll a make lot it. With we make it work. Alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There she you struggles go. Struggles very hardly. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so she, she struggles a lot with her alcoholism and it's affected how she acts. It's affected her moods. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not really the same person anymore. And that's something that Lexi doesn't understand. Right. Um, and so there are things like a mental illness um, that some people won't understand. Just like some people won't understand um, having a, a two, uh, what's the word? Having a, a separated family, having divorced parents. Right. There's some people that aren't going to understand that. And that might be something that's hard to bring up. Um, having you know addiction that runs in the family or being adopted. I mean, there's there's all these different things that you can think of that people wouldn't understand. And they all kind of come with their own conversations that, that need to happen. Um, different people need to be treated a certain way in a relationship because of their past. Yeah, And I think that this falls into one of those categories where it's not something that should be seen as a deal breaker because everybody has something. Um, but it is something that should be talked about because I'm sure it happens to me. Um, I'm sure that with other people, they see life a little bit differently because of something that they went through. They need to be treated a little bit differently because of something that they went through or they're dealing with. Um, I ask Lexi for a lot of patience because sometimes there's stuff going on in my family that causes a lot of issues and it affects how I feel. And sometimes it will affect my mood. That makes total sense. And uh, mental illness isn't the only thing that causes that. So I think it's really important to understand that even though mental illness may seem like it's a lot more taboo than other subjects, there are so many different things that somebody can be dealing with that would also kind of merit that same response from people. And so it's not something to be afraid of. You just have to understand that everybody has their thing. Everybody has a struggle, at least one. And those are conversations that you need to have with somebody if you plan on being in a serious relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. I relate kind of similarly, maybe not as far as a diagnosis, but, you know, when I was a newly single mom, you know, and I remember going through that phase where it was just like, I don't know who's gonna, you know, take on someone who's gonna, you know, and who has a kid, you know, there's a stigma there, you know? Um, and yeah. And it was just like, okay, now I'm, you know, looking, not looking, but now I'm dating as a single mom, you know, and it's so interesting because at first my boyfriend wasn't necessarily a single mom was not at the top of his list, let's just say. <laughs> and I did not fall. I do not fall in for that. Or I mean, you know, that it just is what it is. That's fine. We have our preferences, you know. But then, of course, he met me. <laughs> um, and all of that changed. And then everything changed. Yeah. Yep. yep. I was like, mm-hmm, see, you never know. Uh, so all of that to say um that you're right like there are certain quirks or things that everybody comes with and um at the end of the day i really do believe that there is like someone for everyone so to speak if that makes sense like 
I do believe that whoever chooses you is going to commit to everything that comes with you and do that growth journey with you. And it really is about, you know, um, yeah, reserving yourself for that. Because if they are in fear of it or they do run uh, the moment that they hear about it, then that's not someone you want to be with anyway. We kind of talked about this on our live, Christian. Like, yes, um, exactly. You don't want to be with someone anyway who's going to run the moment that you have problems or get intimidated or scared the moment that something happens. Um, that is actually probably a sign that God is removing someone who is not a good fit for you, and you just got closer to someone who would be a good fit for you. Yes, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, totally yeah, and agree I, with that. I see that as a, a big red flag for someone. If yeah. you share something that you struggle with or something that is important to you, and they are not understanding of it, or they are not willing to open up their mind to what that may be doing to you mentally, physically, emotionally, and they immediately write it off as, nope, I don't want to deal with that. That is not a person that you should want to be with. Want to be with anyway. I totally agree. And I think something that's really helpful, which you kind of have brought up in your relationship, Christian, as well, is that uh, we talk about this idea of helping them help you. And the reason why your relationship is able to, it sounds like, work through those kinks is because you know your own symptoms and you know your own challenges. And so you're able to articulate that to the person that you're with so that it's not like a a blind, you know, coming out of left field when something happens. Uh, So it sounds like something like that as well would be very helpful, at least as you're growing through the dating process is becoming more and more familiar with what are your symptoms? What does help you? How can you help the other person help you so maybe they don't feel as hopeless or confused or what have you when things happen that could cause a rift potentially in that relationship? Um, being able to also articulate through that relationship, through that dating relationship, what these symptoms look like for you and what helps will, would probably greatly help them as well. Would you agree, Christian, or anything you'd add to that? No, I completely agree. And one of the things that I try to tell people, um, whether they're in a dating relationship or not, is that because everybody's brain functions differently, thinks differently, works differently, people's symptoms are going to look different than other people's symptoms. And how people cope is going to look a lot different depending on the person than how somebody else might cope. So it's not a a one-size-fits-all for understanding um, the symptoms of mental illness. And I think that it's really, really important to become self-aware and make note of your symptoms, what helps you, what doesn't help you, what makes it worse, um, and really becoming self-aware in in that area of things. My mental illness has forced me to become self-aware because it changes my mood drastically. And I have to be really open and honest with that, uh, uh, really open and honest about that with Lexi and let her know, hey, I'm kind of in it right now. I'm not feeling too great. Um, I'm not in a good mood at all. And I don't know, you know, how long this is going to go on for. So I'm giving you a heads up that I'm going to need you to be a little bit more patient with me this week. Um, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more loving with me this week. 
And don't be afraid to tell someone not just what you need, but what you want. Where if there's a person that you are, you're with, if you're in a relationship and you're like, Hey, I'm going to need you to be um, a lot more physically affectionate with me. Let them know that. Or, Hey, I'm going to need you to um, give me a lot more affirmation this week because of something that went on. Let them know that. Because if you don't let this person know that, if you don't let your partner know that, if you don't let your friends know that, they're never going to. That's something that we talked about last week where you have to help people help you. You have to give people the tools or at least the knowledge um, to equip them to be able to help you. It's kind of like setting yourself up for success. You're laying the groundwork before anything goes wrong and saying, hey, this is, you know, potential problems. If this happens, this, this is normally what I need. This is normally what works for me. So that when you are in that depressive state or you are being affected by your OCD, PTSD, ADHD, whatever it is, whatever your symptoms are, that people go, oh, okay, hey, we've talked about this. This isn't surprising. This isn't new. We've talked about this and we now know how to better help you. What I love about what you're saying, what I also love about what you're saying is this process you are working on yourselves individually and that is strengthening your bond together uh, because I think sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap of depending on the other person to fix your needs, right? Or to like cure your needs or to fill that void. Um, in which, of course, yeah, that other person can be supportive, but you still have to do your own work. And I think that is also going to shift that balance where it maybe does become less draining on the relationship or on an individual person who is feeling full responsibility and full dependency. Otherwise, if you are, you know, taking responsibility for yourself and your own situation or emotions and you're working through them. Um, and then coming to the relationship and saying, hey, this is the support that I need through this as well. So I love that. Yeah, and just real quick to follow up on that. Um, I have always seen a relationship or whoever your partner is. Um, I've always seen it as there's a saying that a lot of people use that somebody completes them or that they need somebody who completes them. Right. Your partner should never complete you. They should compliment you. They should be able to, yes, pick up where you slack off, but they, they should never be the reason that you feel whole because they're doing something that you need to be doing yourself. They should compliment you, not complete you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for adding that. And I think that's kind of like universally applicable um, with anyone who is struggling with anything that's really deep and hard and difficult um, just to, you know, take responsible for your healing and create space for that, whether it is journaling or talking to your therapist or um, I don't know, even you can like text the crisis text line at home to 741-741 and they'll literally just listen to you and support you through relationship issues <laughs> non-judgmentally anonymously so there are ways that you know you can create space to work on you before necessarily like you know throwing it all on them so uh thank you for reiterating that and 
you said earlier that there are some pros and cons to dating with both of you guys having a mental diagnosis and growing through that. And so I just wanted to ask what has helped and what are maybe some things to avoid? I know that we've kind of talked about things, but just to kind of recap or summarize even in your experience, what have you found helps the relationship when you yourself or you and your partner are dealing with a diagnosis? And what are maybe like things not to do? No, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think that I will start by saying, especially in a relationship where one or both people are struggling with their mental health or a mental illness, even more so than normal, you have to be communicating. I know communication is important regardless, and it is probably one of the most, if not the most important thing you can do in your relationship. But especially when you have something or you are struggling with something that can change your mood or how you are acting or your demeanor, I mean, on a switch, you really, really, really have to be communicating with your partner. Otherwise, they're going to have no clue what's going on. They're going to have no, no clue what you're thinking, no clue what you're feeling. They might take it we personal. Have been... Exactly. Yeah. And there's been a couple times where something will happen that you know I've done because I was either really depressed or really anxious, and it had nothing to do with Lexi or our relationship, but because I was being affected by some other thing going on and I didn't let her know about that, that in, in turn made her think that I was mad at her or mad at our relationship, right. um, which is completely valid because there's no way that she would know otherwise unless I told her. Um, but one of the, the best things about both of us dealing with, um, with the life circumstances of, you know, mental health and mental illnesses is that it's a lot more, it is a lot easier for us to understand each other when something is going on. If one of us is ha having really bad anxiety that day and we just send out a quick text of, Hey, I'm, I'm super anxious. It's okay. What can I do? Do you, do you need me to be there? Do you not want me to be there? Do you want space? Do you not want space? Um, we both know how we function during these things. And so we know better a little bit how to help each other. Um, but another thing I would say is do not feel ashamed for what's going on. Um, do not feel that it's something that you need to hide or try to fix on your own, because that is where all of your problems are going to show up is when you think that it's something that you can handle on your own when you feel like you don't need to communicate, when you feel like you're better off not talking about it and figuring it out yourself, that's when your problems are going to arise because your other partner, the other half of your relationship is left in the dark. Just to kind of wrap this up, so many, I think, helpful things and relatable things have been said. Um, to Speaking to the one who feels helpless about their romantic future, their love life because of their diagnosis. I have a lot of people who just feel like, you know, there's, they're never going to find someone and they desire, they desire to be in a relationship. They desire to be married one day, but just haven't come across anyone or 
have disqualified themselves because of their diagnosis. Um, just any words or thoughts of encouragement to the one who just feels like, you know, maybe God doesn't love them because he hasn't blessed them with a partner or doesn't care for their desires or um, is just feeling like it's never going to happen for them. Um, yeah, what would you say to that person? Well, to start off, I would like to say Jesus was single until he died. <laughs> Man, so that's true. Do do not think that in order to be qualified or in order to be successful that you need to be in a relationship because two of the most influential people of the Bible, Jesus and Paul, were single until they died. True story. Um, on top of that, though, and bringing this into more of a real-life perspective, this goes back a little bit to what I said earlier, where I feel that there's a lot of, especially in the church, there's a lot of pressure on people to find their soulmate young, get married young, super quick engagement, have kids immediately. That's kind of become the United States or California church culture yeah. where everybody's married with kids by 24. And like something's and wrong with you if you're not or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, whereas in reality, a lot of these relationships are happening because people feel like they need to fit that mold. They need to be engaged by 21. They need to be married by 22. They have to have a house and kids by 24. And because of that, if you look at statistics, the rate of successful marriages does not change inside or outside of the church because both of both the church community and the non-church community struggle with the same types of pressure where there's either a religious pressure where this has kind of become the Christian mold. There's a cultural pressure where um, I know a lot of my friends who are from either um, island countries or from Asian countries, that's kind of their mindset too, that they need to be married by this point. They have to have their career by this point. And if you don't fit that mold, then something's wrong with you. Or, well, I guess the cards just aren't in it for me. I guess this isn't God's plan for me. God's plan is different for every single person. Just because you saw on Instagram that one of your friends got married and they're buying a house right now does not mean, one, that that's what you need to be doing, but also, two, that the rest of their life is going great. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I would say say, do not worry. Um, your first priority should not be trying to find the person you're going to last forever with. Um, your first priority, and this is what I did for the last three, four years before I met Lexi, was I focused on myself and I focused on my friendships. How can I be a, a better brother? How can I be a better son? How can I be a better friend? And doing those things prepared me for my relationship. And it was really difficult at first because there's a lot of people that say, you know, I'm just working on myself and them working on themselves is 
shutting themselves in and going to parties every weekend and actually doing nothing about their relationships or their own personal, physical, mental, spiritual health. Um, I spent three or four years studying my Bible, figuring out what I was going to do with my life, getting my priorities straight, making sure that I was a good, good friend, good brother, good son first. Because quite frankly, that stuff is a lot easier than a relationship. So making sure that those things I was working on, preparing myself first for once God brought somebody into my life. And then once I finally met Lexi, and it was kind of this fairy tale, oh my gosh, we have the exact same story. We both struggle with the exact same things. We both want to accomplish the same things. I was then at a point where I was ready for that. And if I hadn't been preparing, if I had just been going from relationship to relationship for the last three or four years before I met Lexi, there is no way that I would have been ready or prepared for a relationship because everything that I learned that has helped us in the last 12 months of us going on dates and then officially dating is stuff that I learned from either my dad, things that came up in my friendships, arguments that I had with friends or coworkers, and then ultimately my spiritual truth, what God has shown me, what God has taught me, what I've read about in my Bible on how to be a good friend, how to be a good companion, um, how to lead someone into truth and not away from truth. Those are the things that built the foundation that built the foundation for a successful relationship, not being in a bunch of relationships. I really appreciate you laying that out because um, it was kind of similar with me. Like I got on that track after I had become a newly single mom and was, you know, working on myself and I was just like focusing on my friendships, like the relationships and the, you know, purposes that were already around me. And it was in that same thing, like as I was focused on that, because I was in the mindset like, you know what, I'll probably be single for another 10 years. It's all good. Like I'm, I'm doing me right now. I'm working on things. And, you know, who like you are the biggest project you will ever work on in your life. And that is a lifelong project. So there is always something to be growing and working on with yourself that is more worth more than enough of your focus. Um, and it was along that path that I also ended up meeting my boyfriend is when I actually was not focused on looking and was not um, trying to like fill voids and stuff. And it's kind of really funny how that happens. But um, so, yes, I love that. Just take the time to work on yourself and um, yeah, and really do the investing because uh, the amount of work that you put in is going to show up in the health of y your relationship. Uh, my boyfriend and I always joke like, thank God you met me now. <laughs> like if you would have met me five years ago, this would have been a completely different relationship, right? Yeah, this would not have worked out. <laughs> this wouldn't have worked. No, it's so true. It's like this relationship probably would not have worked out if we were dating five years prior or not it just would have been maybe more difficult or different so thank god for the work that was put in leading up to this relationship and so whatever however you're investing in yourself now whether it's learning the coping skills learning more about your diagnosis learning about the symptoms and how to work through those your future relationship is gonna thank you for the work you're doing now so uh continue to do that work 
Um, thanks so much, Christian, for all of this. You know, as we're closing, I would love to take the time to these last few minutes for you to just share any of your resources, anything you're doing, anything that's coming up, how people can stay connected with you. Uh, the floor is yours. Perfect. I love that. Um, as of right now, we are planning a lot with Anthem of Hope, which is our, our nonprofit organization. Um, we are partnered with an organization called The Hope Line. So if you go to anthemofhope.org, we have a free chat that will connect you with a crisis counselor. Um, they are available seven days a week and the times are on our website, but it is completely free. That, that is part of the funding that Anthem of Hope um, gets goes to this organization. So if you need somebody to talk to that is a Christian that understands your faith, um, but can talk you through any sort of crisis you might be going through, we have that and other resources available on our website. Um, and then on Instagram, Anthem of Hope, that's where we will be posting all of our updates for some cool stuff we have planned in the future um, as far as talks go. Um, potential conferences that we have coming up if COVID allows. Um, and then my personal account is Christian John W on everything. And that's how I stay connected and answer people's questions. I love that. And you're so personable on your socials. And I always love that. Like, you know how sometimes it feels like, well, I don't know, people may be faking it or putting on or what have you. Like you're, I love how you're so relatable with your Q&A and sharing things in your life and just continuing to be open and transparent. And that is so uh, noticeable across all of your platforms. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate you for just being you. And we are definitely going to link all of those things in the show notes below. So you guys be sure to check that out. Um, and thank you so much, Christian, for your time. And thanks guys for listening. Until next time.